Hello, everybody, and welcome back to uh, part two of our rookie preview episode. Uh, like I'd mentioned on the episode that uh, dropped on Wednesday, we'll be splitting it into two parts, and we'll be dropping this one here. Uh, so this episode is going to have our running back rankings, our receiver rankings, our tight end rankings, uh, a couple of our sleeper picks, as well as our ice-cold hot takes. So, ready? thank you for listening to episode number one. And uh, here we go, episode number two. Hope you guys enjoy. And let's, uh, let's start things off with our running backs. Here we go. Uh, running backs. Okay, uh, running backs, we got our consensus top five was, let me scroll down here. Our first was Najee Harris from Alabama. Then uh, number two is Travis Etienne from Clemson. Uh, then Javante Williams for UNC at number three. Kenneth Gainwell at number four. And then at number five, we had uh, a tie of uh, Chuba Hubbard, uh, fellow Canadian there. So a little the tip of the cap to him. And then, uh, and Michael Carter, uh, we had tied at our five. Um, Najee Harris, I think was kind of a, a pretty big lock. I think all three of us had Najee as our number one, correct? I and actually had Etienne. You had Etienne as your first. And then after that, I think is where it gets a little bit interesting. So um, maybe let's all just kind of pick our one guy we want to stand on. Obviously, Zach, you have your Najee as your first. Uh, then Armin, you, you took Etienne at uh, two uh, as your number one, even though he was number two under consensus. And then I have Javante ahead of Etienne uh, as my three. So maybe I'll take care of him and then we can kind of go from there. So consensus number one, Zach, you can take, uh, take away Najee Harris first. First thing, uh, this dude is a Mack truck. He's 6'2", 230. Uh, this year, uh, about 1,400 yards, 5.8 average, 26 TDs and an impressive stat line for receiving as well. Uh, 43 receptions on 53 targets for 425 yards. Um, the guy is tough to bring down. 960, yeah, 962 yards after contact, good for third in the nation. And 69 broken tackles, good for second in the nation. Um, he's not winning any, uh, any foot races uh, over his career. He's only had 25 runs over 20 yards. Um, going back to what I said about Giovanni Bernard, though, this is somebody that I think teams can have a lot of faith in as a pass blocker. Um, being good at pass blocking, it isn't sexy. It's not going to be on the top 10 plays. It's not going to be something that, uh, you see on, on trading cards on or whatever, but it's going to allow you to stay on the field for all three downs as a young player. And that is what you need for, for fantasy goal. You want to be on the field as much as you can, and you want to contribute as much as you can. He can contribute in the run game, obviously pretty good average, and yards for days, 26 touchdowns. Uh, but he can also can contribute in the passing game, not only as a receiver, but as a pass protector. Um, somebody like Leonard Fournette, Rojo, those guys, they're great at what they do, but they can't protect uh, in the pass game. Yeah. Uh, or they can't catch out of the backfield. Najee can do both. Um, obviously, he's built for the goal line. So I think that's an added feather to his cap. He's going to be somebody that once they get down to the five-yard line, it's not like, oh, damn it, here comes Fat so to sub me out. You can have faith that Harris is going to stay in the game and uh, hammer that ball in. I think out of all the running backs this year, mind you, it's not a, uh, a top flight uh, group of RBs this year. I think he has the safest floor in any uh, fantasy format, whether it's PPR or non-PPR, because yeah. he can contribute in, in the passing game and in the run game. Yeah, I had I had um, a markdown. He's just your he's your true three down guy. Like he's yeah, he's he's pretty pretty standard across the board. Like you said, whether it's half point, full point, standard leagues, I think you're I think you're locked and loaded with uh, with nausea there. I uh, I in in the one league that we're all together, I have the one one, and I am I'm leaning heavy towards nausea. Do I wish I had last year's running back class to pick one guy from? Absolutely, but. Uh, this year, if it, if, it, if it does be if it does end up being a running back, I think Harris is going to be one of those guys that um, I'm strongly considering. 
But uh, with that said, after I looked into uh, Javante Williams, he's, he's certainly somebody that has uh, piqued my interest a little bit. Yeah. I, uh, I'm actively trying to get the one Oh two in that league currently. Uh, Cause I have Javante as my number two in the rankings. Um, but I'll let, I'll let Armin go with, uh, with ETN first there. I know he's got, he's got him ranked his number one. Uh, so we'll let him go first and then I'll take a swing at Williams following there. All right. So yeah, Etienne won over Harris. I don't have it. Like it's pretty close there. Like it was a hard time debating. And then like what we're talking about with Javante Williams, um, he is really close in there too now to me. Um, but I had to pick one, so I went with Etienne um, because of that e- explosiveness of his. Um, he averages in his years at Clemson, 17, he had 7.2 yards per carry, 18, he had 8.1, 19, 7.8. 2020 was a bit of a down year, though, 5.4. And then you look at his receiving. Um, besides 2018, he averages over 10 yards per reception. So he's not just getting little dunk passes and, and not getting anything out of them. Like he's actually getting yards out of it. So he can receive as well. Um, the probably his weakness compared to Najee would be his pass blocking, but at the fantasy perspective of it, um, that's why I chose Etienne is that explosive ability to, to put it off those big plays and he could have huge games or his Najee is probably going to be um, your consistent, more bell cow back than him yeah um, i did i did have noted down there about the uh about the pass blocking i think unfortunately that um, that might bring him out of that three down roll unless it is guaranteed he's going to get the pass but man that breakaway speed is electric like he is fast not not too many guys yeah. are catching him from mind <laughs> yeah i i compared etienne to uh to uh cj2k he's oh, yeah. somebody that uh He's not hammering it in between the tackles. He's looking to get out there at all times. Um, I think his, his upside is in the PPR formats. Um, he hasn't had over 20 carries in the game since 2018. So even at the college level, they weren't giving him a heavy workload. So maybe he gets eight or 10 rushes a game, eight to 10 targets a game. Um, think maybe like Alvin Kamara. Not not like the talent of Kamara, but like the same role as Kamara. That's what I was saying to Armin earlier today. See, I I actually going off a little bit here. I comp Javante Williams closer to Kamara than than Etienne myself, to be honest. That that leads me in good to me. So I actually when I was doing my rankings, I almost put Williams as my one oh one. I, I almost did. I thought maybe that's a bit of a reach, but I really, really like Javante Williams. He is hard to bring down. The thing that everybody's talking about, his center of gravity, his center of gravity, center of gravity. You can't take him down. Arms tackles are not taking him down. Like his stat line here, 157 attempts for 1,140 yards, 19 scores for an average of 7.3 yards at carry. Like the man is a truck and you're not bringing him down. And he has the three down tools. He can catch the ball. He can run between the tackles, outside the tackles. He's five foot nine, 212 pounds, and runs a four five five. So he doesn't have electric speed, but he's pretty quick. So I mean, like, yeah, E10 faster, but I think uh, Williams has a well-rounded package. And some comps I threw around there. I heard in like, so the one comp I saw was Melvin Gordon, just not as fast. But I saw on in the industry a lot of people were uh, comparing him to Kareem Hunt, which. I mean, we can all remember Cream Hunt's, times. Yeah, Cream Hunt's uh, rookie season. That was as good as you're going to get from most people are drafting in like the second round. Like it was, <laughs> it was impressive. So I think if you're being comped to uh, Melvin Gordon, just a little bit slower or a Cream Hunt, both guys have had a significant fantasy relevance. Uh, I, I really like him. I got like a lot. Uh, so I did put him in my two. I really almost put him at my one. Uh, so I kind of see that top tier where it's, the one, two, three, and then that's where that tier break goes down. I know we all, I think we, all three of us had Kenneth Gainwell as our number four. Um, strong, strong pass catcher. Uh, I think he's, I would say he's probably the best pass catcher in this draft class. Like I think by quite a bit, a uh, little bit of smaller guy, but another guy coming from the Memphis. And I know well, I'm sure somebody's going to mention here, but 
when you look at who just came from Memphis and had a pretty, I would say, decent breakout season and is hopefully going to get a little bit better. Antonio Gibson, there's a reason Gibson only had so much work he did, and that was because of Kenneth Gainwell. So I think going into our 104, and that was a consensus 104, I think that tier break does happen at one, two, three. That tier break is there. Then there's Kenneth Gainwell down in another tier below. But I think something that definitely could be interesting for guys to be looking at uh, come draft season. Yeah, Gainwell, he was recruited to Memphis to play receiver. So he does have that, that pedigree as a, as a pass catcher. And uh, when, he, when he moved to running back uh, for the 19 season, yeah, like you said, there is a reason why uh, Gibson didn't play running back his final year. Like he played, Gibson played receiver for a lot of the uh, 19 season, and it was because of Gainwell. Um, the, the, the hard thing with the evaluation for Gainwell is uh, say, say what you will about the decision. He, he looked at, I think he looked at what he did in 19 and he said, it's good as it's going to get. Yeah. It's only going to go down. Like yeah. I'm sitting this year out and I'm going to make the decision makers um, going to make all, their job a little bit harder. All in or all out essentially. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you take care of your body like you look after yourself it'd have been a real shame if he uh like it was marcus Lattimore. i think a couple years ago out of uh south carolina uh blew his knee up right before the the draft and he never really had much of a nfl career so no. for kenneth gainwell that's probably smart uh few less miles on the tires if you will so like bryce bryce love from stanford is senior year, yeah you know? yeah absolutely like he just got news he just got released today so like yeah. you know you just um, sometimes you just risk out coming back to your senior year and it just doesn't work well yeah. gainwell also came back heavier but it sounds like more fast like he came back faster too to his pro day here i always find it interesting he, when guys put the put the offseason weight on because like there's a difference between like your bulking weight and your playing weight like we talked about that like there's a, there's a difference. So you come into the season out of playing weights and then all of a sudden seasons rolling around and you're back to kind of that standard weight. So I'm, I'm interested to see, cause I know there's one guy that I don't know if actually we had in our sleeper pick, but I know in our consensus, he ended up being like our consensus eighth or ninth with Stevenson. He's a, he's a pretty big boy. And uh, like they're talking about him trying to cut weight, put weight on like well, the cut weight for the, for the combine or their pro day, I guess. And, but uh, it's always interesting to see what your what, what your lifting weight, your offseason weight is, and then to your to your actual playing weight. So, um, Chubba Hubbard, sure. I'm uh, my 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 name is Michael Carter. I, I I think I've talked enough about top four. I don't think you need to too too much about Michael Carter, but uh, Chubba Hubbard, I know you guys want to go take uh, take a full couple swings at him. So Chubba was once the RB one. Had he been drafted in 2019, he probably would have been RB one. And even if he would have sat out this year, probably could have been RB1. Um, I don't think those 2019 numbers are a fluke. Okay? You don't put up those kind of numbers by fluke, right? Like, you got to be good to put up those numbers. He had 1,300 yards after contact in 2019. I think he's been slept on a little bit. I think he, he could, uh, you could still have a really good career in the NFL here. Like, he, be, he could a good sleeper if he didn't make our top five here yeah the one thing i will say about chubba is uh in the summer with the uh bml uh movement um it's really cool seeing him uh speak out against uh not only racism but the somewhat uh, implied racism that his own head coach was wearing a uh, a really right wing um, conservative news stations T-shirt, and not only did he he call out the goal, but he made it well known that he was well, he wasn't happy with how society's going. So, um, like even if he's the crappiest running back out of this out of this draft cycle, I think he's somebody that you want to see be successful. Yeah. Not only is he a Canadian, but he's also um, he's somebody that put morals above above his career. I think. Yeah, bigger, so, bigger, bigger than the sport. You know, we talked about that a little yeah. bit with Alex Smith, where where it becomes more than football, and and obviously a prime example of that. 
Uh, wide receivers. This one, I think, was a little bit more uh, like our one-two, a little bit more one-two punch, much the same as kind of the consensus uh, or I guess the industry there. But uh, Jamar Chase from LSU is our one. Devonta Smith from Alabama are two. Uh, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota was our three. Uh, Jalen Waddell was our four from Alabama. And then Rondale Moore was our five from Purdue. Um, this one... This one was a little bit like our one, two, I think was kind of flip-flopping a little bit. And even as I wrote down my numbers, submitted them, I still wanted to flip-flop a little bit, but um, Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith, I think they can't like two polar opposite players. Jamar Chase, like I have written down here, the, the pros, obviously the size, the power, the athletic freak, but then the cons is he has the sloppy routes and just, relies on his size too much where then there's Devonta Smith, the polar opposite where he has those crisp tactician like routes. And he's a pure separator based on routes routes around where Jamar chase relies on his size to separate. Now, I mean, the obvious, the elephant in the room, Devonta Smith being extremely undersized, like you can run routes as best you can, but are you going to get cut in half the first time you take a shot? Like that's, the big knock on Smith. And I think the big, big knock on chase was the, was a sloppy routes. But um, as I say, one, two, and then I just changed my mind. It's two, one, and then one, two, it's two, one. It's hard to decide. It's truly, what do you believe in? Do you believe in the route running or do you believe in size and athleticism? That's going to be who you're choosing at the one one from this position as a, as a receiver base. But um, I, I ended up going Jamar chase one, Devonta Smith two, and I say that I changed my mind and I flip around a little bit, but um, what do you guys, what do you guys figure on the, on the receiver uh, spectrum? So I think um, Jamar Chase kind of like Gainwell, he, he might've did the smart thing. He, he took the season off. He, he put up a, just like an impossibly good year uh, in 19 with, with Joe Burrow and the boys down there in Baton Rouge. Um 84 receptions, uh, close to 1,800 yards and 23 touchdowns. Um, oh, pardon me. Uh, for uh, close to 1,800 touch or yards and 20 touchdowns, pardon. Um, so he could have easily um, been one of the top two receivers, I think, if he was eligible for last year's draft. So instead of risking putting up uh, a subpar year or, or getting hurt, made the smart decision. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. I'll sit this one out. Um, with that said, though, he does have one year of elite production, but that production was so elite, he had Justin Jefferson as wide receiver two, who was, I would say, the best rookie wide receiver this year in the NFL. Yeah. So Jefferson was his second fiddle. Yeah. And he had Terrence Marshall as an afterthought, relative afterthought. Um, and Terrence Marshall should be one of the first seven or eight receivers off the board, I think, this year. So he was a boy, or he was a man among boys, um, like elite deep speed. But yeah, I think he he might rely on the the physical side of his game a little bit more than than somebody like Devontae Smith who I think is, God, he's, he's so fun to talk about. Um, but Armin, do you have anything else before we go to Smith? You know, I, uh, I agree with everything you guys said about Chase. I was actually way off on consensus with you guys for, for number two, actually. I did not do Devontae Smith as two. I actually had him all the way down to four. And it was the size. It worries me. Um, I'm worried he might be like Deshaun Jackson, able to put up big numbers, but just injury prone, always getting injured. So it it was yeah, something I, I really struggled to look past because I look for big bodied receivers. That, so could, be, that it, could be a hot take for me. It could be a hot take in itself. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I don't disagree. I, I used to be like, oh, hell yeah, give me. Give me that power forward with four four speed on the yeah. boundary. That's what I want in a receiver. And then watching Nikhil Harry for two years, I'm like, give me that route runner with speed. <laughs> but if he if he's 170 pounds, give it to me. 
one thing I'll say about Harry though, you watch him playing for the Pats. He doesn't. He's not using his speed. I know. It, 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 you got. If you have the speed, you got to use it. So. Yeah. But uh, no, I the size worried me a lot for for Smith. So I, I actually had him all the way down to four. I also am of the mindset you can teach a guy to be a good route runner, whereas it's hard to teach. It's kind of like with basketball, you can't teach size. Yeah. Yeah, you, absolutely. Um, I think uh, with with Smith, um, I think if your if your biggest knock on a guy is something off the field, um, you might be making a uh, a mountain out of an anthill, if you will. Um, yeah. Like just just looking at what he's put up the past couple of years, it's it's hard to argue that he's put up some of the best numbers out of the past two draft cycles uh this year alone 117 receptions uh close to 1900 yards 23 tds um even after last season he could have entered the draft and been one of the first couple receivers off the board but he he chose to come back um looking at um looking at his weight though like yeah, like you're you're absolutely not wrong. Hundred or allegedly around 170 pounds, six foot one. Um, Armand, you and I coached receivers a little bit there at St. Mary's. We've coached grade tens that are bigger than than Smith. Like, yeah. like in all honesty, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like I think was it two seasons ago you had three receivers that were bigger than Smith. Like at the high school level. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> In Prince Albert, compared yeah. to Alabama, like exactly. But to be putting up these numbers, to put up close to 600 yards on deep passes, good for first in the nation, um, at 170 pounds, like you're doing something right. Um, he did put up a lot of like schemed production, from what I from what I read, uh, 304 yards and 35 targets on screen passes. Um, but the, the guy, he can make a, or he'll take a one yard gain and make it into a 15 yard gain. Yeah. Um, I think, I think he, he might be able to put on some weight, um, which, which might th- make things a little bit better, but, um, for me, I don't, I don't think there's a better receiver that played this year obviously because Jamar Chase did not play this year. Yeah. Um, okay, so our consensus, last couple three here, we'll go through relatively quick, a couple comments. Rashad Bateman was our third. I had him at four. Uh, Jalen Waddell, four. I had him at five. And then I had Rondale Moore at my three. Um, just kind of taking a shot in the dark there. But uh, quick comments, both these three fellas. Uh, anybody that you want to take a quick swing at? So I had uh, Waddle at two. He was my two, and then Bateman was my three. Um, so I actually started with Waddle out, um, but I watched him, and I started to like his game. And there was a moment where I became a Waddle truther, and it's when I saw his catch on a post route where he gets hit by a safety coming down on him, and he gets hit hard, and he still makes the catch. Like, he's jumping in the air makes the catch, gets hit, and completes the play. And that is just – that ability to finish a play like that is really hard to come by. Um, so that's what moved him to number two for me. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I, I, I really like Rashad Bateman. Um, he, he broke out as a true freshman. He put up 51 receptions, 704 yards, and six TDs as a true freshman, as a 18 and 19 year old, he put up those numbers in a power five conference against 22 and 23 year olds. Um, the more I, the more I study the draft, the more I, I look into stuff, breakout age is incredibly important. Um, it's a great indicator for future success. If you can dominate guys that are older than you, coming out of high school, you have a much greater chance of carrying that into the future, into the yeah. pros. Uh, Jamar Chase, he broke out as a sophomore. 
Um, that's why I'm so confident that Chase will have that. Uh, one of my sleepers, it's the same story. If you can break out as a 18, 19 year old, I, I will stay on your bandwagon for a lot longer than I probably should. <laughs> um, he, Rashad Bateman, he's a noted technician, good release. He runs sound routes. Uh, he's not an elite athlete. The 40 isn't, um, out of this world, but he's a big boy. I though. think, yeah, I think he's somebody that, uh, like a Keenan Allen, maybe somebody that you're not, you're not seeing on the top tens all the time. He's not in the first round first, or the second round of your, of your draft, but he's somebody that you're really happy when you get Keenan Allen because set it, forget it. You know, he's good for eight receptions, 90 yards for sure. Yeah. I agree with you. You on Bateman fully. I, uh, I liked Rondell more, not the fact that he is just like, uh, like red, like true blue going to have like breakout year one, but he is like, just based on his athletic measures alone, like he's an athletic freak. Like a four yeah. two, like keep in mind pro day four two nine forty is insane. So even if you add on a little bit of time to that as a pro day, that's still fast. And five seven small little guy, but uh, but his athletic measures are just unbelievable. So I uh, I think he is kind of being slept on a little bit in the industry a little bit too. Uh, I think he's incredibly talented. I know there's a little bit of comments about maybe just his hands aren't quite there yet, but I mean. If you're running a four two nine, uh, I'm pretty sure you can take it right in the bread basket and, and pick that one up. He's just an ath- athletic freak. So, yeah, I, think, I agree. He's more of a like football player than a receiver, I yeah. think. And that that's actually a lot of the guys in, in this draft class. I think are more football players and like their position, like they're just good ge- football guys. And uh, Rondé Moore is probably the cream of the crop of those football guys for sure. I, I think with Rondell Moore, you're looking at a potential Percy Harvin, somebody that could have elite production, but could have the, the career cut short um, quite early on. So I think when you're drafting more, especially in Dynasty, you got to know that you might only have him for, for the first contract. Yeah, but you're you're absolutely right. I I do think he's being slept on a little bit. He put up a outstanding season in 2018, uh, 114 receptions, uh, 1,200 yards, 12 TDs, like outstanding. But in the past two seasons, he's only played seven games. Um, yeah. So when you when you're only playing half a season out of two seasons, um, it's easy to forget you. Yeah. Uh, and then you're you're totally right. The dude's a freak. Uh, his three cone was in the 92nd percentile, 40 yard dash in the 98th percentile, vertical jump in the 99th percentile. The guy's an athlete for sure. Um, and then a lot like Percy Harbin, you got to be in the right fit or right team fit. Yeah. Um, if you go somewhere that has some unimaginative OC, waste of a pick. But yeah. if you go somewhere with a creative OC, somewhere like San Fran, Yikes. Yeah. Watch out. Um, Tight ends. I think this is pretty straightforward. Kyle Pitts, one. I mean, I don't think we have to really spend too much talking about him. We could do a whole podcast just talking about Kyle Pitts. He's just, he's generational. That's, uh, we'll leave it at that. He's just, he's a generational talent. Uh, But then we had Pat Fairmuth from Penn State and Bevin Jordan from Florida. Uh, You two had Pat Fairmuth at uh, at two, and I had Bevin Jordan at two. Um, I mean, Really, I think I think Pat Fairmuth has the better potential to be playing up numbers than Bevan Jordan. I just like Bevan Jordan's athleticism a little bit more than Pat Fryermuth. Pat Fryermuth, he like he looked at his numbers and I think he relies on the touchdowns a lot, which I mean it's pretty standard your tight end position. Like if you look at the NFL tight ends when you're starting in your dynasty, you're starting in your redrafts. A lot of times when you scrap the tight end, you're just looking for a touchdown and that's how you get your points. But um, I, I just like the athleticism of Bevin Jordan, even though in his pro day, he didn't look fantastic, which is kind of disappointing. Uh, he is uh, athletic, especially being a, as an undersized tight end. Yeah, I agree. Like Fairmuth is a bit more polished, solid blocker, great run after the catch ability as well. Um, mm-hmm. Makes me kind of think of Kittle when I see that, but uh, 
um, probably won't be that elite, but you know, kind of that, that idea. And Jordan's just raw potential. I think he's, uh, he's, he's kind of like a nice little uh, secondary prize. If you don't win the Kyle Pitt sweepstakes, picking up for arm youth and a little bit later in drafts, you might, uh, might be okay with that. I think everybody's kind of hot and bothered by, by Pitts. You might be able to sneak that for arm youth one a little bit, uh, a little bit in the back and maybe second and middle second. And you might be laughing on that pick too, depending on where he ends up to. I not agree more. I think if you're like Jordan, you said that you're hurting for a tight end potentially here in dynasty. I think if you, if you can't sell the farm and get Kyle Pitts, um, don't feel bad about getting Pat Fairmuth as your, as your consolation prize. Um, nicknames baby Gronk. <laughs> uh, this past season was cut short by injury, uh, but 19, he put up 43 receptions, 500 yards, seven TDs. Um, I think he's somebody that is going to be on the field more so than like a, a Evan Jordan a good blocker he can play on the line and in the slot and the more you can do for offense the more you'll be on the field and you got to be on the field to put up points yeah i agree so i think he's somebody that has a great chance of contributing um and looking at his size 6'5 250 that screams red zone threat to me um and like you said a lot of times especially when you're streaming tight ends that td is what you're chasing so I'll take my shot with him before I, you know, dance with Bevan Jordan for yeah. sure. His, his, his stock hurt a little bit with that pro day. Uh, he, he didn't look fantastic. Uh, but I mean, he's a little undersized. They're talking about him being out in the slot a lot more. He, he's not, he's not, he's not a big body. He's yeah. not going to be blocking. So he's going to be out in the slot a little bit more. So I think the comps to Bevan Jordan was very Evan Ingram esque. Um, but like just based off the athleticism, but um, yeah, sleeper picks. Uh, I guess I'll kick it off first. My sleeper pick is Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. Um, I think he's being slept on like drastically in the industry. And it's actually kind of funny when we were doing this, I was listening to some podcasts and actually another podcast I was listening to had Dwayne Eskridge as his sleeper too. Um, but I think he is, if I, I think he's incredibly talented. So five foot nine, 190 pounds. So decent size. Uh, around a 4.3840, so he's a fast, can be a burner, uh, field stretcher, but then can be more than that. He, he's not just going to be limited to a field stretcher um, title. He's going to be able to stretch a field, but then it has other tools in the tool bag to be successful. Um, and he's going to make physical plays even bigger. Like he's he's a physical player. He plays bigger than his size. Even though he's 5'9", he's not tiny, but he's not monstrous either but he plays physical and he plays bigger than his five, nine size. Um, so I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be slept on a little bit. And I think he has a, he's a guy that you could probably get maybe late second uh, that I think can be a high impact player just because his name hasn't been thrown around lots in a lot of the mock drafts and in the, in the industry. And like I said, I think he is being slept on significantly where he might be a little bit of a fantasy gold mine there just, uh, just because of the, uh, the name, just because his name value isn't booming like some of the rest. Uh, Zach, you had uh, Tylen Wallace. Yeah, I'm a big Tylen Wallace guy. I uh, he, He's been a guy that I've heard for the past couple of years, just watching football on Saturdays in the fall. Um, he's another guy, a lot like Jamar Chase, a lot like Rashad Bateman. He broke out as a sophomore. So he was dominating at his level as a 19-year-old, uh, beating dudes that were 22, 23 um so this past year he only played nine games but he was able to put up 59 receptions 90 922 yards and six tds um nothing to scoff at there but his sophomore season was legendary 86 receptions 1500 yards 12 tds um he's a guy that can handle a lot of work uh past three years at ok state uh, close to 30% of his team's targets went to him. And over the past three years, he's led the nation with 43 contested catches. Um, this is somebody that is coming from Oklahoma State, a school that, granted, they do spread the ball around. It's a lot like playing football with your buddies in elementary school. 
no handoffs. You're just throwing the ball around. But uh, I have a lot of faith in, in the right situation could be a total steal in your rookie drafts. Um, he's somebody that you don't have to go out and get in the first round. Um, depending on the, the size of your league, towards the end of that second round would be where I'm thinking Tylen will go. Uh, based on the size of your league, he's somebody that I'm thinking you can get at the, towards the back part of the second round, maybe even third round as that eighth, ninth or 10th receiver off the board. So uh, Tylen Wallace, he's somebody that I am, it's hurting me to, to promote him like this because I was hoping to keep him to myself. Yeah, that's the, pro- that's the problem we're running into some of these, even like with your trade negotiations, we've been saying, well, guys all of a sudden are hearing who you like and when you, when you start telling everybody about it, they're going to find out. Yeah. Um, uh, Armand, you want to hit us with your sleeper pick? Uh, all right. I went Eli Mitchell from the Raging Cajuns running back here. Okay. I have him as my RB7 right behind Michael Carter right now. Um, I liked his contact balance watching him play, and his hands impressed me a ton as well. Um, I think kind of Devontae Williams light, you know, like he, he's not the, the prospect that Williams is, but he, I think he has that ceiling that Williams has as well. Um, and I watched his film against Iowa State, okay? Um, and that is a far superior team to the team he plays for. And there is multiple times where he could have been taken down for a loss, and he got positive yards out of it, okay? He was able to navigate through it all, get positive yards, make guys miss, okay? Um, and then... So I was, I was liking it. And then when his O-line finally did block for him and give him a good block, he got chunk plays out of it. He was getting chunk plays, okay? So I was liking that film. I was enjoying it. Looking at his stats, um, he didn't have any, like, huge years, but his yards per carry is, is in the sixes, okay? So he averaged, I want to say, 6.3 yards per carry, which is – pretty good yards per carry um and then he he's had some good receiving stats um not huge and then what really sold me on him is i was concerned that he didn't have any home run speed okay that he didn't wasn't able to if he made it through everything didn't have that breakout speed to to take it to the next level and and make turn that chunk play into to a big touchdown run but then his pro day came out and I saw where he ranked in this year's prospects for speed. And he was third, I think, for, for speed, third or fourth. Okay. And in his his pro day, it was like a it was in the four threes, which would probably translate to in, at the combine a uh, four four, right? So he has enough speed that um, he can make that big play. Plus, with the other things I saw from him that were, were really important to me as well, um, it I I was really impressed with with Mitchell there. Right on. Um, wrapping things up with our uh, our final segment, one of my uh, one of my favorites here. You can some things are been hot off the press, and some things have been a little bit slower developing here. But the ice cold hot takes. Um, as our special guest of the week here, we'll let Zach, uh, be our, be our first hot take. Uh, and so we'll go from there, Zach, your hot take, uh, for this episode. All righty. Um, so I said, whichever quarterback ends up at three with San Francisco will have the best fantasy season of any of the rookie quarterbacks and will end up winning the offensive rookie of the year. Um, looking at everything that San Fran has to offer, as one of those quarterbacks, that is where I want to go. Um, San Fran has Kyle Shanahan at the helm. He is a noted offensive guru. Um, so just by having an offensive-minded coach, you're, you're already in a, a good position to succeed. Uh, going in a little bit deeper, obviously, um, San Fran, their skill position, it is A-OK 
They got Ayuk, uh, Samuels, and Kittle. Their top three targets are probably head and shoulders above uh, the other landing spots. Uh, Jacksonville, nothing to sneeze at, but uh, I'm taking San Fran above Jacksonville. Uh, sorry, New York. Uh, your guys can't touch San Fran. And uh, when one of the rookie quarterbacks end up in New England, we can't touch San Fran either. So uh, whoever goes to San Fran is going to have some very talented skill position guys that can get open deep, but also in the short and intermediate uh, level of the field, which is where rookie quarterbacks are going to have to make their money. Um, I'm not scared of Jimmy G. Um, he's somebody that I think is a, a placeholder for right now. And eventually I think they're going to move on from him sooner than later. Um, maybe even as early as the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, um, to make this hot take to come true, I need Justin Fields in San Fran. Uh, but for my my personal dreams and sanity, I need Fields to end up in New England. But uh, if San, if Fields <laughs> does end up in San Fran, um, look for him to make plays inside and outside of the pocket and impact the game with his RPOs. Um, in any dynasty format, I'd be hard-pressed not to take Justin Fields as QB1 if he's in San Fran. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with you as the, if I'm super flex 101, I'm taking the San Francisco quarterback, I think. Trey Lance, you're going to sit on him for a year, but if it's Justin Field, it's 101. Like, I think that's, that yeah. that might be a hot take in itself, even though it's not my hot take, but I uh, I can get behind <laughs> with you in the in the San Francisco quarterback position. I, I hadn't heard Zach's hot take here in full transparency. I hadn't heard it yet. So as soon as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, I can get behind this one. I, I like that's a spicy take. Uh, Armin, do you want to you wanna take a swing and hit us with yours? All right. So even though I just went over with Eli Mitchell, what convinced me to make him my sleeper, I'm saying the 40 time does not matter as my hot take here. Okay. So it is a bold statement. So I'm going to mend it a little bit, right? It's a piece of the recipe that makes a great NFL player, but it is way overhyped, I think. Um, power is really important when it comes to running backs. Receivers, I'd say speed over power a little bit, but um, and then you need the hand, right? So um, speed can kill. It can do a lot for you. Like look at Tyree kill there, but there's some guys out there that just don't have the speed and they can still produce. And there's some guys that have blazing speed that have done nothing in the insert, NFL. Insert and, John Ross. Yeah. <laughs> John Ross was the prime example. Four two nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, Four two nine. There's some unofficial ones here, like uh, um, Don Beebe, four point two one unofficial or before the combine. Okay, um, do you guys even know who he is? He's best known for chasing down a a Dallas Cowboy in the Super Bowl and stripping the ball from his hands right before a touchdown or a showboat touchdown. But that was his only big play in his career. Um, then. There's like a bunch of other names out there. I was doing a whole bunch of research on this. Abby in Washington, JJ Nelson, uh, Jalen Murek, Jacob B. Ford, Champ Bailey, Marquis Goodwin, uh, Dree Archer, um, Chris Johnson. He's actually got good production. Um, and then John Ross. Those were the top nine combined 40 times not many of them are actually household names okay um and then you look at some of the guys succeeding in nowadays nfl camara ran a four five six 40 jacobs only ran a four six 40 okay derrick henry beast beast he is but he only ran a four five four right Speed isn't everything. It's overhyped, I think. That's my hot take. That's funny that we were right away we we're like both John Ross, and then he happened to be on the list. That's pretty. Uh, like what's, <laughs> yeah. What was the what was the scoop with his year? If you outbeat the forty, was it, you got an island or something like that, or how did it work? If you oh, I but you had to wear specific was, shoes. 
yeah, it was sponsored by Nike, I think. But he wore Adidas, right? Yeah. And oh, yeah. everybody was like, like, dude, like, what were you, what were you thinking? And he's like, man, I can't swim. What the hell do I need an island? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unreal. John Ross, there we go. Soundbite made it into our podcast. Unreal. Um, okay, so my hot take this week <laughs> is, uh, my hot take for this episode is come draft season, like come dynasty rookie draft season, even redraft season, landing spot does not matter. Okay, now, Keep in mind, landing spot, if you have a guy 1A, 1B, okay, I can see a landing spot projecting him a little bit ahead of the previous guy. But your pre-draft ranking should carry the same weight as they do post-draft. They should carry a significant amount of weight. So like we did today where we had our consensus top five, we have our top 10, those should carry just as much weight, if not more, than the post-draft, okay? So I'm going to give you a few examples of kind of what I mean and why I mean. So look at last year in 2020, prime example, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Okay. Me and Armin had talked about this before the podcast. He was our RB5, RB6 consensus, okay? Then Jonathan Taylor was my clear-cut 101. Swift was my 102. Uh, after that, probably Acres, maybe 103, 104. I'm trying to remember my, ra- my rankings from last season, but Jonathan was our, my clear-cut 101, okay? Then in the final pick of the first round, Kansas City drafts Clyde. Everybody's like, he's auto 101, auto. Well, he was my 106 running back. He wasn't even my top six rookie talent. But all of a sudden, everybody's like, nope, number one. He's number one off the board. And I remember last year going into our rookie draft saying to uh, a guy in our league, he had 101, and he was asking for my advice. I said, do not take Clyde Edwards-Alaire at 101. Jonathan Taylor is leaps and bounds better, and he will eventually get the opportunity in Indianapolis. And then week one, Clyde puts up, what, two scores and 130 yards or something stupid like that. I'm like, oh, boy, I had to put my, <laughs> put, put my tail between my legs. And then, and then everything kind of came to fruition, okay? He jumped up like five or six spots because of landing, okay? Another example from the 2020 draft season, um, Lamb versus Judy conversation. A lot of people had them as the 1A, 1B, or they had CD above Judy wherever he stood, okay? Personally, I had CD above Judy. But then Judy went to a situation where he would be the clear cut too, prior to the, the ACL injury there. And then Judy kind of potentially became the one in Denver. Uh, and CD was probably the three at the time in Dallas. Now I ended up in my draft, I had the two back to back and I ended up drafting CD and Judy back to back my rookie drafts, but I was seriously considering going Judy over CD just because of the depth charts based on making my decision based on landing spots. Now, end of season, I'm still sitting here. Both of them didn't have the fantastic breakout season, but I'm still sitting here saying CD's the better receiver. I still think CD's better, and I'd rather have CD. But I almost went Judy because of CD because of landing spots and depth chart. Now, my last example, 2019, A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. Pre-draft, everybody was just absolutely hot and bothered by D.K. Metcalf. D.K. was potentially the 101 that year in rookie drafts not even like not even number 101 receiver 101 rookie draft then the draft happened and all of a sudden aj brown dk went to offenses where they weren't going to be elite and people were kind of sleeping on them and then who became the number one that year in a lot of rookie drafts Nikhil harry well i'm sure a lot of people are uh, are hurting a little bit there that they went Nikhil harry instead of aj brown or dk metcalf because i just paid three first uh, basically for aj brown and I would even pay three fourths for Nikhil Harry. So when you go landing spot ahead of draft talent, I think you're going to get burned more times than you're going to get rewarded. Now, if it's 1A, 1B or 2A, 2B, okay, you can take landing spots to consideration because it's not making a drastic difference based on your talent and observations. But when you go from a 105 or a 106 like Clyde and jump him into the 101, you're going to get burned and you're going to be disappointed. Now, I'm not saying Clyde Odellaire is not a good running back. I'm not saying he's not going to have fantasy relevance. What I'm saying is you're bound to be disappointed if you took Clyde Odellaire at 101 and you were chomping at the bit if you got Jonathan Taylor at the 102 and look what happened. So draft spots shouldn't matter. Or sorry, draft spots. The um, landing spots shouldn't matter because cream is always going to rise to the top talent over draft landing spots. That is my hot take. I can get on board with that. I yeah, I absolutely. 
So, I mean, when we come to our rookie draft uh, in about a month and a half time and I'm looking at my rankings and all of a sudden I'm putting, let's go Trey Sermon, all of a sudden 102 because he gets a primo landing spot. I'm going to kick myself in the head because I'm going to have to come back and listen to this. But um, yeah, that's my hot take. And as hard as, as, hard as that is, it's um, you kind of got to stick to your guns. Like the industry last year, I, I mean, it was also the first live thing that we could do because of COVID was watch the draft. And that was the first sports event that happened because of COVID. And all of a sudden the draft ended with the final pick being Clyde O'Dellaire and the internet was just breaking. Like Twitter just, Twitter could have crashed because of everybody getting hot and bothered by CH, yeah. but Jonathan Taylor, baby on my team. Now let's go. Um, well, that pretty well does it. I don't know any, uh, any final, uh, any final tidbits or remarks to add in there, fellas. Uh, just want to say thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, definitely excited for coming back, I guess in, in two weeks time, uh, or whatever it is to discuss the, the actual draft itself. And, uh, for me to convince Jordan that, uh, perhaps landing spot does matter. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. She was a longer one this week, guys. Uh, a few technical issues. Oh boy, this is going to be a fun one. I, I have a few headaches already just from freaking internet not wanting to work here, but thanks for sticking around guys. A long one. Hopefully a lot of this information is going to carry into your leagues and help you out moving forward. But uh, thanks for listening to episode number four. Thank you to Zach strong for part one of his, uh, of his feature in our episodes and the same as always uh, like, and uh, follow our social media platforms at 306 FFB. Also like to throw out a little tidbit here that we'll be having a uh, special event coming up right away, leading up to the draft on our social media platforms, where we're going to be giving away some uh, 306 merchandise. Uh, Rebellion Brewery, who was our special, uh, our, who was our special um, sponsor of the episode last week. And then we also have a few extra pieces we're throwing together. So pay attention on the uh, social media platforms for that, as we'll have a special draw coming up on the NFL uh, draft uh, next Thursday. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, that was episode number four, and we'll see you all in two weeks. Take care, everybody.